Good morning, all you Cubby Cub Club listeners. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm really excited to have today Laura Munson, who is a really incredible writer out there. She is going to talk to us about her own invention and about how you can go about reinventing yourself as a communicator and a writer. You may not want to be a writer, but you may need to learn how to communicate better. Or if you're interested in being a writer, Laura is the author of her most famous book is This Is Not The Story You Think It Is, about what happened to her with her husband when he came home one day and said, I'm out of here, and she decided not to go along with it. And But since then, she's written many, many other books. And she's also created these wonderful retreats, which are called Haven Writing Retreats, which are out in Montana, where she lives. And she also has ideas for you if you want to just be your own blogger or you want to start in the writing world, how to go about it. And I know a lot of you from the various conventions that I've done with More Magazine, Many, many women feel at the second half of their life they'd like to write. It's a hard field to break into, but there are many ways to go about it. You can self-publish. You can take courses. You can go to a retreat like, retreat like the Haven Writing Retreats with Laura where you can actually get one-on-one instruction. It all doesn't guarantee positive success, but maybe part of your writing is for you. Um, or maybe it's a, a book that you want to give just to your family. Uh, it could be any of those things. But in any case, for women who want to write, this is a must. Um, and I'm just so thrilled to have Laura Munson here. And at the end, she'll talk about the special um, gift she has for Covey Club listeners when you sign up for one of her Haven Writing Retreats. So let's welcome Laura Munson. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to have the wonderful writer, Laura Munson here with us today. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm great. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And so what's it like out there? You're out in the mountains of... Montana. Yes. Montana. I've been here for 25 years, if you can believe that. <laughs> I'm from Chicago originally, but this is home, and this has been my muse for 25 years and way where I've raised my kids and... Right now, it's a bit of a winter wonderland. Ah, okay. Lots of snow, and and uh, are you a big skier? Uh, I'm not, but my family is. But it's uh, I like cross country skiing. It, it's a beautiful place to live. You know, it's it, we live in Whitefish. It's a ski resort, and it's near Glacier National Park, and it's wow. on a lot of people's bucket lists. It's a it's a wonderful place to live. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about reinvention. And obviously, um, you and I uh, had connected back at Moore when you'd done some things for Moore Magazine, and you've been a well-known writer for a very long time. But let's go back a little bit to your history. I always like to find out um, people's history and kind of how that led them to be who they are, because it kind of gives uh, our listeners an idea of what's in their history that might lead them to what they might want to be. And since we're talking about reinvention, um, I would love to just hear a little bit quickly about your background growing up. You say Chicago. 
And yes, how did you end up being a writer? What was your what was your background? Was it in the family? Were you a family of writers? No, I, I've always wished that I came from a family of artists. But no, I was I was raised to sort of be on the um, fast track to corporate success, or at least marry somebody with corporate success. There you um, go. A lot of us private, have that, yes. Yeah, private, lots of ambition, private schools. I grew up in the North Shore of Chicago. I went to a New England prep school, and I was just, uh, you know, it was all very much groomed to go straight to the Ivies and, and be, um, you know, be really successful in that way. But early on, I realized that I wanted to do it differently. And so as much as I loved that life and the people in it, I knew that if I was going to uh, live the life of an artist, I had to remove myself from that world and align myself with people who are more kindreds in that way. So I moved west, and I lived in Mm. Seattle for a while, and that brought me to this sleepy little ski town in Montana called Whitefish, which actually 25 years later isn't so sleepy. It, It draws a really interesting and diverse group of people from all over the place who come here to experience the beauty of Montana. So I never thought that I would end up living, you know, like on 20 acres with horses and um, raising my kids in this little town. But it has proven to be probably the biggest inspiration of my life and certainly my muse. Wow. And, And explain why that is. Does it give you peace and quiet and time to think and and it's what are the inspirations that are out there? Are you just interacting with different types of people? What is so inspirational you know, for you? It's all of those things. You know, and it's like Montana just serves up stuff to write about every single second, whether you're hiking in Glacier National Park and you are, you know, just basking in the radiance of, of the Rocky Mountains and these beautiful lakes and these beautiful, smooth, rose-colored stones along the, the rivers, or whether you see a grizzly bear. <laughs> We've had a grizzly bear in our backyard before. Oh, um, my. Moose. Okay. You know, it, it really brings you to your knees all the time and reminds you um, that you really are nature. It's not like, I think when I've been in the city and the mindset growing up in the city was kind of like, I need to go out in nature. But we really are nature. We're a part of nature. And so never is that more clear to me than when I'm wandering around in the woods of Montana. So there's that piece of it. And then there is the... You know, we don't, we, I never have to have road rage or deal with traffic or parking issues, you know, and that's a big piece of it, too. It's, it's like I live four and a half miles from town, and it takes me four and a half minutes to get into town. Wow. <laughs> Unless I'm stuck Amazing. behind a tractor, you know, or there's like a cow crossing the street. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that creates your own cow rage. Yeah, I've got cow rage. It's more like tractor rage. But it's, it's you know, what, what's really neat tractor about rage. this part of the, of the state. It, have you been to Montana before, Leslie? Yes. We used to, re- we go all the time to Mountain Sky, which was in Bozeman. Right. My kids loved it. It was, a, it was a dude ranch when they were young yeah, growing it, up. And we used to ride horses. And um, it was just a fabulous place to go. And we loved Montana. I thought my son would always end up there. Um, because he really, really loved the beauty of Montana. Well, that's down in the Paradise Valley, which is, I would say they're my two favorite valleys in this state are right there where that Mountain Sky Ranch is, down in the Paradise mm-hmm. Valley, south of Bozeman, and the Flathead Valley where I live. So up here we have 
you know, the largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi uh, is up mm. here too. So this is the land of lakes, and it's more tucked in and cozy, whereas down there it's more wide open and windy and sunny. So mm-hmm. anyway, it has been a wonderful move, and um, I'm about to head. So speaking of reinvention, I'm about to head mm. straight into empty nest here in the fall. My second child will be going off to college. And I'm thinking of sort of keeping this as a home base, but it's time for Mama to spread her wings and fly again. (laughs) Aha. Oh, good. We'll have to talk about that because that's one of the big issues for a lot of women trying to figure out where they want to be for the second part of their lives. And Mm -hmm. it may not necessarily be where they've been. um, And they're, they're trying to figure it out. One of the things I want to do for Covey Club once we're up and rolling, and maybe I'll, I'll, get you to do something on Montana is create a whole channel that's all about, would you want to live here and go to mm. people who are living in places that other people may want to go to, but to really dissect it down to, you know, what's the population, what's the average cost of a house, what, you know, are people open or not open to new people coming in, what, you know, all those kinds of things, because people are trying to figure out where do they want to go? And mm-hmm. it's a whole different, it could be a whole different part of your life coming up when you don't have kids anymore that you have to worry about being near a school or you have to worry about roads and picking them up and them driving or not driving. I mean, all of that stuff is changing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, my big point about reinvention is, is that, you know, you can mine the person that you've been being as a mother or as a career person or whatever it's been that has occupied this last chapter of your life. You can mine that, you know. You don't have to go become something completely new, although that's wonderful too, you know. But it's, it's like you can actually mine it and monetize it, which is what I did. <laughs> so I'm right. looking forward so- to Empty Nest because I've kept – this piece of who I am as a writer and really a seeker throughout my life. And that can translate into anything in this next chapter. So let's talk about your previous chapters, um, just so um, our readers know who you are um, and it'll ring all kinds of bells for them. Can you talk about how your bestseller book, the This Is Not The Story You Think It Is, came about just briefly? I mean, some people do know. And why did it resonate with so many people? And, and how did you then segue that into basically becoming a, you're, you've, you've morphed into a writing instructor in many ways? Mm-hmm. Well, as, as it's always been in my life, it, like there are no rules for some reason. There's no recipe to follow. Everything I've done is kind of topsy-turvy inside out. So I have written novel after novel, all fiction. That's what I've been up to for my adult life. And, you know, I've got about eight of them that I think are good. I've written 20, if you can believe that. I've written 20 novels. But many were exercises in learning. You know, I did not go get an MFA. I just wanted to cut my teeth on, on life and learn my craft and really sit at that confluence of heart and mind and craft that is the writing life before I tried to get my stuff out there. Um, and so it's really hard to get published. I, I had a wonderful agent, and we kept getting almost all the way with big New York publishers. And then marketing and publicity would say, who's Laura Munson from Whitefish, Montana? You know, so that's part of what I did in se- getting myself out of the, of the world of 
of movers and shakers and decision makers in cities, you know, I, yes, I came out here and learned my craft, but I did cut myself off from a lot of networking opportunities. So, so I wrote my way, um, because writing, I say, is my, my practice, my prayer, my meditation, my way of life, and sometimes my way to life. I was faced with um, a marital crisis, and so I used my writing to help me get through it. And that book, that ended up becoming a book, which became a memoir. And interestingly enough, I think this would be um, interesting for your, your listeners and readers, my agent was not going to go out with that book because I had had a hard time getting published since I did not have a platform. And she said, I love the book, and I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. It's not just about a marital crisis. It's about facing any form of crisis and how to retrain the mind as you go through that crisis so that you're not an emotional victim, even though society might tell you that you are one. She said, you know, Laura, everybody reads the Modern Love column in the Sunday Style section of the New York Times, even though, of course, you can't get a New York Times. Right, where you Montana. are, right? But I, I still, you know, read it online, and I love Modern Love. And so she said, why don't you write the short version of the book that you've already writ- written, the time of your life you've already lived, and send it to Modern Love? Well, I've been rejected uh, from Modern Love many times. It's, it's a very hard nut to crack. But I sent, I actually had one hour to pick up my kids, um, from school, and I banged out the short version of the book, and I don't even think I edited it, Leslie. I think I just wow, that's amazing! So you'd written the book first, and then you wrote. I, wrote the I thought book it was first. the other way around. Yeah. How interesting! Really interesting. And so then I sent it to Dan Jones, um, to whom I owe my career. And the next day, I got a note back from him, and it said, "This one we're going to take." And the morning that that essay was published in Modern Love, I was actually picking huckleberries up on our ski mountain um, <laughs> because, again, you can't get it here. Um, but there were about three clicks on my on my blog. And by the end of it, there were 3,000. They told me that the responses from that little essay temporarily shut down the New York Times website. People, Wow. And this was when? Viral, crazy. And it was it was something like um, let's see it was reproduced all over the place. The week reproduced it, and the editor in chief of the week got in touch with me and said, "You do realize that out of all of the articles ever published in the history of the week, that essay is the number one most read essay with something like six million readers." And I got paid three hundred dollars for it. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, it, that's incredible. I know, but that's what launched my career. So, so then that Monday, my agent went out with a book, and suddenly I uh-huh. went from being a beggar to a chooser, and I got to choose between the editor of The Kite Runner and the editor of wow. a book that they thought was going to do well called The Help, which a lot oh, of people have my read. God. You know, The Help was turned down something like 64 times also, and you know that. I do, we and in fact, Catherine Stockett, story. who wrote it, she has been on my writing retreat as a, a as an attendee working on her next book, so that was very full circle. But that's how it all started for me, and then that book launched me into the speaking circuit, and that's when we met each other at the Reinvention Convention, convention in L.A. Yes, and so, wow, so that's very interesting, your persistence. I love the fact that you had submitted the Modern Love column several times and had been knocked out. And then you mm-hmm. just kept at it. A lot of people would give, a, give up and walk away. Their feelings would be hurt or they would feel, I'm never going to crack this. Why did mm-hmm. you keep going? Well, persistence is key. Um, but I don't think I would be 
persistent in this if I didn't love it so much. I mean, writing really is, like I said, it's my way of living. And, and writing isn't just writing. It's how you perceive life. It's, it's how you look around at people on the subway. It's, you know, it's how you walk through the woods. It's, it's, it's walking. It's bathing. It's, you know, whatever you intentionally do, to me, then you can bring that back and make sense of it on the page. So I think when I was living, right out of college, I was living in Boston and I was working on my first book. And somebody said to me, if you could look into your future and see that you'll never be pub- published, Laura, mm. will you still write? And I didn't even, I remember it exactly where I was standing. Without batting an eyelash, I said, of course, yes, this is, this is how I show up. I've been doing this since I've been a little girl. It's how I process life. But that said, I've worked really hard to learn my craft. And while I'm not good at lots of things, like you should see my, you know, my checkbook. <laughs> uh-huh. But I'm, I'm well, good at this. Don't worry, I, I, I suck as an editor. So I'm a really good concept editor, but I am terrible. I'm so, so, somewhat dyslexic. So I'm terrible uh-huh. speller and terrible grammar person. Isn't that funny? That's that's why I had to run magazines where you can hire those people to clean up all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. I worked with lots of editors who actually put typos in my work that I have to take ah. out. But the, <laughs> but I hope I don't do that. But it's possible. <laughs> I it's a it's a very interesting thing. What I learned um, from being a, a writer, starting like you did, I wrote. Since I was a kid, I used to write books about my bird, Chat Chat, um, <laughs> when I was like seven or eight, and I've just always been writing. And I was always, I always felt terrible that I was a terrible speller, and in high school, that kept my grade down by at least a half a point, if not, not more. And I remember finally going to write speeches for, somebody sent me upstairs when I was at Condé Nast working for Vogue to write speeches for the president of Condé Nast. And they walked me into a guy who was running, who ended up running Vanity Fair, a very famous guy named Leo Lerman, who was, had been the feature editor of Mademoiselle and of, um, was fair, you know, was Truman Capote's best friend and was, ran in all these literary cycles. Wow. And I wrote a speech and he looked at it. He thought it was great. And I said, but, you know, can you tell me if there are any grammar problems or spelling? I'm not a good speller. And he looks at me and he goes, I stink at spelling too. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and that's <laughs> the first moment in my life where I was like, here's this guy who is like so revered and he can't spell either. It's just a, it's a tick, you know, it's like you just, it's just a something people are gifted with or not. But all those little things, if you've been writing since you were little, then you understand what you can do and what you can't do. We need our editors, too, and, and there's nothing better than Absolutely. working with somebody who can see what your book needs to be or what your essay or article needs to be. That's a really incredible talent. I actually have that as well, and I, and I now have become an, an editor for people um, in addition to being a writer and leading writing retreats, and it's, it's an intuitive ability, you know, and that's, I'm sure, what, what you have and why you've been so successful yes. at what you do. And that's what's fun. I love... I love helping people say what they mean to say. And also, mm-hmm. I love it when somebody else comes in for me. I refuse to publish anything that no one's never looked at because sometimes I think I'm saying it and I'm not, or I'm saying something you, you something completely contrary, or people can read it that way, which is very interesting. So mm-hmm. you you went out and this book then became this wild sensation. What about the other 20 books you have? So how did those all <laughs> fall in line after that? 
Well, so after you publish a book, you know, it, it beca- the whole publishing world becomes a little bit more political. And so uh-huh. it's been a real decision of mine to figure out kind of what goes next. And because I'm a novelist, really that's what I consider myself, I want a novel to come next. So I'm hoping to have a novel come out um, and then another memoir. And then I'm working on a book about finding your voice because, you know, we hear this lofty claim, come find your voice, yes. go do this and come. And what does that really mean? So I, I'm in the process actually this winter of, of working on a book where I'm really breaking that down so that people can read the book, be inspired, but have good takeaways that they can apply to their lives, whether it's in their jobs or with family or friends in any kind of relationship. What is it to authentically say what it is that you have to say and, what is, and, and to really find what is unique and surprising and essential about it? And, of course, that requires giving yourself permission in the first place, which is really hard to do for many people who were raised with, you know, seen but not heard, that's you know, right. who felt like they had a gag order on them or speak when spoken to or don't show off. Um, I'm trying That's to right. help people understand so talk, what's really behind <clears throat> their words. Talk a little bit, Laura, about there are many listeners to CoveyCast here who um, would like to be writers, um, who, you know, maybe they're writing their own blog or maybe they're, they wrote as a kid or maybe they <clears throat> have diaries, whatever. A lot of people ask me, how do I find an agent? I have a book in me, all that stuff. And we all know it's really hard to find an agent today if you're not a famous writer or if you're not somebody like you, as you were even struggling before you got that column and all the crazy things that happened after that. What do you recommend? You have your writer's group called the Haven Writing Retreat. And I'm sure that's one of the um, reasons why you created it. But what do you recommend for people who really want to write in their second half? And, and how do they go about it? And what should their expectations be? Okay, that's a great question. I'm going to back it up just a little bit. So when I went out on the speaking circuit, um, I was you know, suddenly thrown into these huge ballrooms speaking to 2,000 people at a time. They put me in a limo with Madeline Albright. <laughs> I couldn't oh, believe it. You're kidding. At five in the okay. morning. Silly. And she gave me the greatest advice. I said, you know, Madam Secretary, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, any advice about the speaking circuit? And she said, always wear black, dear, and plenty of makeup. <laughs> ah. That's great. I love it. Okay. Me too. But so suddenly I was speaking about some of these, you know, women's empowerment um, issues to big groups of people. And so afterwards, as you know, you know, you can then sign your book. So people wait in line to come get a book signed and then have a small chat with you. The number one thing I heard over and over again is, I want to write a book. Or I used to love to write in my journal when I was young, but then life took over and, and, um, and I don't even think I have a voice. And the, the one thing I heard that just broke my heart consistently, whether I was in LA or Chicago or New York or even abroad, because my book was published in nine different countries, it was, I'm not creative. Yes, and creative is a big creative. issue. Yes. What? It's a big issue. Creative, feeling creatively blocked or feeling like their lives have not been creative is a big frustration for women. And also, I mean, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these things that, that people sign up for, I mean, you, you were able to escape early, but a lot of them, I mean, like I would have shot myself, no offense to the bankers out there, but I would have shot myself if I had to do banking 13 hours a day, I just would not have felt that that was creative for me. Now I know 
there are bankers that think it's creative or they approach it in a way that's creative. But a lot of these jobs that we spend most of our lives on are not. And people are frustrated. They want to bring creativity into their lives. And they mm -hmm. are frustrated that nothing has helped them bring it out. Right. I mean, in addition to that, I still think that, that everything we do is an act of creation. You know, it's, it's getting dressed in the morning. It's the words that we choose that come out of our mm -hmm. mouths. It's decorating our living room. You know, that's, these are all acts of creativity, but the way it's, it's framed growing up, it's, it's like, oh, well, you're not creative. You're athletic, yes. or you're good at English, but not at math, and that's a real disservice, right. I think, especially to our inner critic, which hatches in around um, – sixth grade, around age 12. And by the time she's our age, she can be really mean and she knows just yeah. how to push our buttons. So that's mm -hmm. the number one thing that stands, that stands in between people and their creativity. It's that inner, mm -hmm. I call her the inner critter. And I've, I've learned that she is just really a child who lives within us who just right. needs to take a nap. Because <laughs> right. I don't her, think I'm or, ever going to shake her. to uh, a timeout. Yeah, she needs a timeout. But you know, I used to try to, like you'll see in, in my book, I'm, I'm fighting her. I'm trying to like uh, exile her from my body. But the truth is that even if she's a result of institutions and people in my life, I still choose to house her. I let her in with really good thread count that I wouldn't even give myself. You know, so right. I, I don't think I'm going to shake her. Um, so in terms of like how to get people to give themselves permission to be creative and to use writing in their life, yes. uh, you know, of course I'm going to say come to my Haven Writing Retreat because it's the very best way that I know how to work with people and ensure that it's safe and that it's supportive and loving, but also real. I keep it very real. And that was, you know, because that's what people want. They want the real, the raw, the truth. And mm -hmm. so th throughout the year, I have people come out here to Montana, which, like I said, has inspired me. And th they're usually from outside of Montana. We've had people from all over the world to come here and do this work where we take a deep dive into what it is that you have to say through a really specific um, practice that I've put together that gives you a map, basically I lead you through writing prompts, and it's, it's, it's a deep, deep dive. It's not like come out and write in your journal and feel the wind in your hair. It's like a four-hour class in the morning where I'm leading us through different kinds of writing prompts that help you find different entry points into those white-hot charged themes in your life. Mm -hmm. And those themes are usually the things that make us want to write and then stop us at the same time because mm -hmm. we feel like we're getting preachy or we feel like, you know, then the inner critter comes in and says, you've got nothing to say. Somebody else already said it better mm -hmm. than you. Who do you think you are? And then we stop. Right. So at Haven, I'm teaching you real tools that you can then bring back into your life and apply them into any kind of communication. So you don't need to be a writer to come, just a seeker. But that said, if you didn't come to Haven, you know, I really believe in journaling, but I believe in a much more intentional kind of journaling because, like, you know, if you start journaling, often we just start to, you know, tell ourselves the same narrative or we start to kind of swirl in this vortex of woe, and that doesn't feel yes. good either. So, so I'm trying to, in this book I'm writing, I'm really trying to give people practical new ways of journaling that, it, that are more intentional and that will help them shed old patterns and move forward in their life. That's what I think we all want to do is, is to become aware of the things that get us stopped or stuck or are in our way and shed them so that we can move forward. And that's to me what writing does. We get it out of ourselves and then we can see it and then decide what to do with it. 
So do you believe that people should start with a journal or today should they open up a blog on Squarespace and start doing it that way or a diary or how do you, how do you suggest they start? Well, I mean, my whole kind of method is teaching from the inside out. So it's really about figuring out what those white-hot charged themes in your life are. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's reinvention. Let's, that's a big one for most of us, and that's your specialty and mine too. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, instead of op- having a journal called reinvention and then just writing about reinvention, I really try to help people put their finger on the key and defining scenes, S-C-E-N-E-S, the scenes that stem from the word reinvention, which might be the theme, or maybe it's betrayal, or maybe it's self-care, or whatever that big, those themes are. And then I encourage people to write those scenes out, because we live our life in scenes. You know, this is a scene right now, even though we're on the phone, you're looking right. at something, you know, in your house, and I am too, I'm looking at a lot of snow. <laughs> right. But we live our life in scenes with all those senses, and, and the, it, to me, it's the scene that holds up the infrastructure of the theme. And so if I can get people to start to look at how they've really lived, I think that informs how they can choose to live moving forward. Do you think that most writers, beginning writers, need to write about themselves and what they know? Is that the, is that the best starting point? Well, that's what Hemingway said, so he did pretty well. Uh-huh, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, write about what There's, you know, and that's... Go ahead. It's a good starting point. It's a good starting point, um, and I think that this idea of, like, thematic writing through writing your personal narrative, things that you've already experienced can really help. But the reason why I've always loved fiction, I mean, since I've been little, is, is because you can reinvent, you can create a whole world, you know, right. and you can rewrite your story. At Haven, we have all sorts of different things that we do where, where I actually, through different kinds of genres, help you to, I kind of jolt you just a little bit off center, just out of mm-hmm. your comfort zone, so you're like free-falling into a free zone and trying all these different prompts that kind of wake you up to what it is that you've lived and, and, and what might be in your way. So, like, I, I don't believe necessarily in just journaling to get it out. I mean, I, I think that's really helpful, but I think it's important to write in community. I think it's important to have a mentor, uh, and I think it's important to be in small, intimate circles where you can really trust that group. And, and you know, like in my writing retreats, I see people start to vibe together, and they mm-hmm. stay in touch long afterwards because something profound happens when you express yourself like that in such a safe, small group way. We, we, don't you think we're just longing for that kind of connection, real connection like that? That's what Covey Club is all about. The idea behind Covey, Covey means a small group of birds, is to be connected and to find ways to connect. My hashtag is uh, learn, get, connect. So the idea is that you'll always come here and learn something. I've found that sort of the thread that separates my former more readers and then the people that sort of gravitate to what I'm doing, they're lifelong learners. And they want to continue growing, reinventing, changing themselves. So, yes, I think that that is, that's a really important part of it. So talk a little bit about the retreats. How many people are there on the retreats? How do you sign up for them? What does it cost in general? 
and how long do they last? Because a, a lot of my listeners are definitely, they'll get up and do something. That's what's wonderful about these ladies is that they're not just going to sit there and talk about it. They're going to get up and do it. So mm -hmm. what do they do? Well, so it, the retreats are ongoing. Um, I lead one in February, uh, typically in every year. My first one's in February, and then uh, usually one in April, May, and then two in June, two in September, and two in October, although this year I'm doing it a little bit differently. You can see the dates on my website. But I lead seven a year of my Haven One program. Then I have my advanced program for people who've done the first program who really want to workshop a book and get that book to the finish line. And so I've got this whole method um, wow. that – that I teach you in my house. We do it like an artist salon. Haven One, we take over a family compound that's not open to the public. It's absolutely stunningly gorgeous on a square mile of land up here and just outside of Whitefish. It's, it's luxurious, but it's also rustic, and it's just incredible. Um, the food's fabulous, and everybody gets their own room. And so, um, but, but it's the design, the same design every, every time, which, whether it's the Haven 2 program or Haven 1. It's from a Wednesday to a Sunday. So people will often come, especially if they're coming from the East Coast or from abroad, they'll come a couple days early just to acclimate and see the, mm -hmm. the area and begin to be inspired. And then they arrive uh, at the ranch on Wednesday, and we all stay there together, and we have uh, the morning class and then afternoon free time where we can take advantage of, of Montana. And we have a a woman who comes out and does equine-assisted learning with people, mm -hmm. which is you don't have to know anything about horses to do it. It's all done on the ground. But it's, right. it's a really nice way to get out of your head and move things through your body. It's actually energy work with horses. It's optional. You don't have to do that. But uh, we also offer a, a beautiful breath yoga class. So you don't have to be a yogi mm. to do it. You don't have to be super bendy. It's all about getting in touch with the breath because I'm over this tortured artist paradigm. Yes. I'm actually trying to find the, the, you know, to empower the creative person, which is all of us. And, and so in order to have a healthy, balanced, creative life, uh, I think we need to be out of our heads and, and in our bodies as well. So, uh, and then we also lead guided hikes uh, around the ranch property. And then in the evening we have a social hour and then dinner wow. and then we have an evening class sitting in front of the fire or <clears throat> outside in the fire pit depending on what time of year where we read to each other and I you don't have to you know I had one woman read her Christmas letter <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to uh -huh. be writing you know the next the next help to come so what's wonderful about these groups is that first of all whatever is your kind of currency outside of human heart language just goes out the window you know you can be a neonatal heart surgeon or a CEO or um, you know somebody who we've had people from the Native American Reservation on the other side of the Rockies come, whose whole town got together to raise the money for it. I mean, it's kind of like every demographic comes to Haven. But what everybody okay. has in common is that they are seekers and they're willing to put their heart in their hand and take that deep dive into their self-expression. And what happens is remarkable. I see it change lives every time. It's, it's truly, so I wish I could find something like it. <laughs> I and need that's something like Haven it. Haven one, right? That's the beginner class for anybody who's just interested in being a writer or has just started being a writer or journaling or whatever. And then Haven 2 is for somebody who already has a book in them or written out or created or has taken Haven 1. Is that the, the key? 
Yeah, and I help them to develop it. So you, it's, it's, it, what I don't want is for somebody to think, oh, I need to go take a writing class to come to Haven One. It's like Haven One is the preparation to have um, a, a healthy re- relationship with your self-expression. You do not need to be a writer to come to Haven One. Okay. Deloitte sent seven accountants, like high-level accountants, to, to Haven just to become better in the workplace, um, expressing them, th- themselves. So, but then cool. you do have people on every retreat that are trying to write a book. And so for those people, I offer the advanced program. And then eventually Haven 3 is working with me one-on-one. But the first retreat, Haven 1, is a standalone experience. You do not need to be a writer to come. You simply want to you, you need to want to, to put your finger on the pulse of what it is that you have to say and power, powerfully say it with the support of somebody who's a strong facilitator and who knows how to move a group and, and hold that group. And it's just a remarkable experience. So talk a little bit about the women who, okay, so they can come do that. Now say they can't do that or they can't find it. What should most women who want to be writers expect? And so if they can find a course somewhere, if they can come to Haven, if they can just go ahead and do their own writing, what are the next steps for them? Is it, I mean, I talk to a lot of people and I say your best bet if, you know, if you're just an unsung writer somewhere and you've actually created something is after you've gotten some schooling on it or you've taken it somewhere, you know, in these kind of creative writing groups where you can polish it up and you still can't find any kind of connection, then self-publishing is always a way to go. What do you think about self-publishing? I've heard a lot of people self-publish, their product will actually sell that way and that's how they get the attention of somebody. And then of course they go in and revamp. But have you heard of that before or is that a sure? I recommend well if well so well first of all I'm I'm going to if you can't come to do Haven I'm uh, producing an online class series oh this, fabulous this winter and that's going to be launched this early spring and so that's something um and and in that I've created this whole kind of method that is it's it's like Haven home so if if you don't oh, if fabulous. you don't make it out to Montana okay. you can still get a taste of some of this work I'm trying to throw lifelines as, as as best as I can to everybody out there because you know I did it alone and you don't yes. have to. You don't have to do it alone. So I'm always trying to create community, just like you are. Um, if you so wherever you live, um, you know, even in rural America, you can find other people who who are longing to express themselves through the written word and who love the written word. If you're in a large um, urban area, you can find writer, writers' collectives. So um, that's the first place I would start. In Chicago, there's a wonderful one called Story Studio downtown. In New York, there's Gotham and many others. Boston, it's Grub Street. Um, San Francisco, it's the Grotto. Minneapolis, the Loft, and many, wow. many others. So I would start there because um, there you'll you'll be around people who who love reading and writing, and they bring in authors. And they like I go and do one day workshops at those places. So mm-hmm. I would recommend that and then of course just reading you know we, and, and not on screens you know get a good old-fashioned book and smell it and under you know I love the smell right. of a book and underline it and write in it and and learn on the page I I like to read a lot of poetry and when I say poetry mm-hmm. I mean like easy poetry um, because mm-hmm. it's honed it's just like every word counts so go get your hands on a, a book of poems by Mary Oliver Another mm-hmm. writer I love is Naomi Shahab Nye, 
NYE, Naomi Nye. Uh, she's okay. incredible. Uh, William Stafford. I start my day with reading poetry, Rumi, Rilke, and that really helps me kind of set my sights for the day. But do get it, you know, do get a journal and 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 do choose a theme of some sort and write into that theme from the inside out through the scenes of your life, and you'll start to create a new awareness. And writing will help you shed those old patterns and move forward because sometimes we're not even aware of what goes on in our minds, you know, right. and it starts there. Correct. It starts with the awareness and the writing does that for you. And are you a believer in the same time, every day, blank page, just do it kind of thing? Or are you of the only write when it moves you kind of? I think it's dangerous to set yourself up to write every day because, and I, there are writers out there who say you just got to write every day. I disagree because I'm trying, like I said before, I'm trying to set people up for a healthy relationship with their self-expression. Yes. And if you commit to writing every day and then you don't, you're just going to feel guilty and then shame sets in. And, that, you know, shame is hard to shake. Right. Right. <laughs> so okay. I, what I'm trying to help people find is a writing practice that is based on who you are and what your habits are and what your life is like and what your responsibilities are like. So for me, I, I've created a very kind, gentle nation that is my writing life. And mm -hmm. it comes and goes depending on the time of year. Right now, you know, it's like I still have a child at home, so I'm still full-time mother. In a year, I probably will be able to be dedicated every day to writing. But personally, yes, I write um, in some way every day. But again, I believe that writing is walking writing is living in, in that kind of in, uh, intentional way that where you're paying attention and always mining your life. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of, I do think that when you set yourself up every day and then you, it's just, it's just like anything, it's like a diet, you fall off the wagon, then you feel shameful and then you never go back. So I think that's mm -hmm. an interesting um, idea there. So, okay, so that's our best thing. Now, what if you know that your writing is never going to be commercial? It's never going to be something you sell. Do you do it just for yourself? Is that a valuable enterprise by itself? Well, I would hope so. I mean, that's how I've always looked at it, like that I have to do this thing. I can't not do this thing. It's just how I process life. But um, you asked before about self-publishing. You know, that's such a new and wonderful <laughs> Uh, aspect of our society these days that we can blog, you know, yes. that we can we can just for free set up a, a WordPress account or whatever and and write something that people will read and 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 control that process. That's pretty amazing. Um, and then we can also, but I I, my, I suggest if you're going to start blogging, stockpile your blog posts beforehand so that you really know what it is that you're trying to say and you start to really hone that before you start to publish because what if all of a sudden it, it goes, you know, big and a lot of people are reading it and you've only written two posts, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it, it would be mm -hmm. better to, I say the same thing to people who write books too or, or essays, just really get to know what it is that you have to say first 
before you mm-hmm. start putting it out there. Because then there's people who are going to say mean things too. You know, People have a lot of courage behind computer screens. So really know what it is that you want to say beforehand. And then know that you can turn those blog posts into a published book. I, I think that there's a rule, and Leslie, you probably know it better than I do, that is it like something like 75% of it can be pre-published, but 25% has to be new material, something like that. Mm, it's always changing in the industry. That's but you, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that percentage is, but you can. You know, there are lots of bloggers who are who are publishing books now, which include blog posts that, they, that they've already published themselves. And you know, self-publishing is real now. Uh, there's a group out mm-hmm. of Seattle that I really love called Girl, Fri- Girl Friday Productions. I'm happy to connect your um, your listeners with them, um, but you can go online and, and see what they're up to. There's some really beautiful, well. Uh, well-published, self-published books these days. So there is more control that people can take, especially if you're a speaker. A lot of speakers need books sooner than later, so they'll choose to self-publish. And Uh and that's, that's not as taboo as it used to be. Going, if you want to go out on the speaker circuit, you often need to have a book that you're selling in order to get on the circuit is what you're saying, correct? Yeah, and, and people want it sooner than later, so they'll self-publish it. And uh, and, and, and no one's looking at the spine to see if Random House published your book. They no. just know that you've got wi- wisdom and they want to read it and take it home with them after they hear you speak. speak. So, um, and today, I really recommend and today the, the truth is behind most books, um, even the big houses, they don't do anything for you. You're forced to get it out there yourself. You're a big author, but most authors out for six weeks on the shelves that's it and you are there's no PR department anymore there's no marketing and you're you're on your own it's not much different from self-publishing yeah there's a lot of frustration uh, out there with authors um, you know and sometimes you'll I mean I did get kind of the red carpet treatment but remember only because of that essay and if yes. the people hadn't responded the way they did that book yes. wouldn't have been published so that's, right. that's good news to me that, that if you can do something that somehow stirs the pot or, or strikes a chord or hits a nerve, you know, because there were a lot of people who didn't like the message of that essay too, um, but people were talking about that little essay, right. and so then New York Publishing listened. Um, but I think you can do that from a blog platform too. The, the main thing is you have to love it whether or not it gets published. It has to serve you first. Point. Otherwise, it's not going to be authentic, you know. But to, what I always say, and this is a good a good message for your listeners, it's like you're responsible for making the bridge from yourself to the piece that you write, whatever it is, a, a journal entry, an essay, an article, a memoir, a poem, a novel, whatever. And then after right. that, it's the reader's responsibility to meet you there. But it's not that they meet you. They meet your product. They, they, they meet your writing, and they create the other half of the bridge. So ultimately, yes. it's between them and your piece, not them and you. And that's really important. Yes. And that's part of how you can protect yourself as a writer. It, it's, how they react is none of your business. Your job is to say what you need to say as powerfully and authentically as possible. That's great. Well, in closing, Laura, there were two things. Um, we wanted to end with three reinvention tips and tricks that these readers and listeners can put into their lives tomorrow to get them started if they want to reinvent themselves as a writer. And then we had also talked about a special offer for the Covey Club listeners. 
So maybe start with your tips and tricks, and then we'll go into okay. the special offer. <clears throat> okay. Well, so when I started Haven, it was because I was responding to all of the people out there who really wanted to give themselves permission to be creative. But I also started it out of post-divorce reinvention because I needed to figure out a way to monetize what I know how to do. And so one of the, the lines that I really love to use that is in a book I'm writing is that I'm glad that my passions were in a row even if my ducks weren't. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. I'm glad that my passions were in a row even if my ducks weren't. So be aware of what your passions are, even if you feel like you're financially secure. Because, you know, especially if you're going to go into empty nest or reinvent yourself after, um, you know, a, 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 a job that you're um, no longer working in. It's like, don't wait for the rug to be ripped out from underneath you to know what your passions are. So mm -hmm. you can always mine and monetize your passions. That's really important, uh, especially for women, I believe. Um, and then so that's really kind of along the line. What you're saying is what I go around the country talking about is always have a plan B in your back pocket for reinvention, because you never Absolutely. know. You may be working at a bank that's really stable and it's wonderful, and you've been there 25 years and they love you, and and then the next day you walk in and they've sold it to somebody in you know in Canada and it moves to Canada and there you are. So. Mm -hmm. You need and, to have that in your back pocket, 60. and I've seen that happen. <laughs> right. And then these are really simple. Um, just you don't have to do it alone. You can, I like you that. You can collaborate. A friend and I are going to start a podcast um, in the summer that we've been talking about for years. You know, a collaboration is so important, and, and finding a, groups of people, small groups especially, that you can really trust, that's important. Um, Community is key, and and so th that's really how I live. Um, you don't have to do it alone. You can mine your passion, and community is key. Those would be my okay. three. And then, of course, write. <laughs> write your way through right. it all. Right, and get it all down um, on paper and or on screen, and don't worry about what it sounds like to start with. Is always my suggestion: is just get it out. And then you can go yeah. back and clean it up later. I think a lot of people self-censor, and mm -hmm. so they never say it like they feel it or like they would speak it, and they're trying to sound like somebody else or some other voice they think they should be. I always say just spit yeah. it out, and then you go back and clean it up. Is that how you feel? Yeah, I mean, that, that's my, the first thing I say to somebody when I get on the phone with them um, to, to talk with them to see if, if Haven is a good match for them and if they're a good match for Haven is just here's an opportunity to step outside of good and bad and right and wrong and the mother of them all perfection yes, and give perfection. yourself permission to be exactly who you are and find ease there. That was my mantra when I went out on the road. I give myself permission to be exactly who I am and have it be easy. And that doesn't mean that it's like traditionally easy. It's just that there's ease, there's flow. And when you can find that place, trust it, because that's where all the gold is, right there, when, it's e when it comes with ease. Great. So let's talk about, um, for Covey Club listeners, um, you have a special offer for them? 
I do. I have a, a special offer for Covey Club listeners, um, and it, it's ongoing. So um, if you are interested in coming to the Haven Writing Retreat, you go to lauramunson.com, you go to the Haven Writing Retreat page, watch the video, read the testimonials, see what it's all about, see if it's a match for you, and then there's a button that says Contact the Haven Team. And when you do so, then you'll be directed to an email, which will then lead to a phone call. And we spent a long time on the phone with people because we really want them to understand what Haven is so that mm-hmm. they understand what it is that they might be doing, um, you know, I- experiencing. And so, and if it's a match for them, and then we can talk about a special Covey Club price for them. Oh, good. So you I'm just mentioned that you heard about it in, um, from Covey Club, and you'll give them a special percentage off. That's right, and I'm happy right. to do that because your listeners are, are my people too. They're seekers. They're people who are intentionally going about life and who care about causing change and moving forward in their lives. So Wonderful. something tells me that anybody who's listening to anything Covey Club is a perfect match for Haven Writing Retreats. Yes, definitely, and I know so many women are interested in learning how to express themselves through writing or who are already writers and would like to reinvent themselves as writers And I want to thank you so much, Laura, for being here today. And I so appreciate your time. And I so appreciate what you do for women and for trying to help all of us to communicate better and get the stories of our lives out there and share them and build community. Well, thank you, Leslie, and right back at you. I mean, we're we're doing really similar things, and I hope it inspires other people to create you know, to create something that can be community forums for, for women especially. So thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you this, this beautiful snowy day in Montana. Awesome. I'm coming to Montana. Yes, come. Come in okay. February. <laughs> Great. I want to thank you all for joining us today on the CoveyCast, and I want to thank Laura Munson for her time. She is such a wonderful inspiration for all of us who are writers. I've been a writer my whole life. It is a tough business to get into and is a tough business to maintain, but if you, if you stay at it, you can be successful in some ways. Of course, she's more successful than 99% of the world, but she's a wonderful giver and sharer, and I think she's somebody you want to have as part of your life. And I want to thank you for listening to the CoveyCast, which is all about women reinventing themselves for the most fabulous part of their lives. And if you like the CoveyCast, I hope that you will give us a rating so that other people can find us and that you will share CoveyCast with other friends of yours so that we can bring other people into the podcast. You can find us on podbean.com or on iTunes. And I want to say that if you have any suggestions of reinventors who we should talk to, you can write to me, Leslie Jane Seymour, at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at coveyclub.com. C-O-V-E-Y-C-L-U-B.com. And I hope you'll also come join Covey Club when it launches fully in February. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you soon.